הרי אני מקשר עצמי לכל הצדיקים האמיתיים שבדורנו וכל הצדיקים האמיתיים שוכני עפר קדושים אשר בארץ המה ובפחד לרבנו הקדוש צדיק יסוד עולם נחה נובע מקור חוכמה רבנו נחמן פגי מצמחה נא נח נחמן נחמן נאומן זכותו תגן עלינו וכל ישראל אמן בעזרת השם תראה בהיסטוריה תורה רמ"ו 246 רבנו תזוז לפעמים צריך האדם שיהיה לו גלות sometimes a person needs to have pride כמה שכתוב על צז אין דה ורס אין דברי הימים בית In the second book of the Vrayamim, chapter 17, that he took pride and he lifted his heart in following God's ways. So we see sometimes you need to have pride and to lift up your heart. And Rabbeinu tells us that having pride in this scenario, in this good scenario we're talking about here, is effective just like a fast is. Because when a person needs to attain some sort of perception of Hashem and to ascend up to, a, to the next level. Rabbeinu tells us a principle when it comes to ascending from level to level that you need to forget your wisdom from beforehand. The wisdom of level 2 needs to be forgotten in order to attain the wisdom of level 3. And just like we see in the Gemara Baba Metziah, uh, chapter, uh, sorry, page 55, 85, that we saw that Rabbi Zera, whenever he was making Aliyah, when he was um, moving from Babel, from Babylon to Eretz Israel, he fasted 40 days in order to forget the Torah that he learned in Babel, the Gemara of Babel. Because he needed to get to an even greater perception, which is the Torah of the land of Israel. Which means he wanted to forget what, she, what he had learned previously to attain a higher Torah. Because in order to get to the next level, you have to forget what you thought you knew. Or what you knew beforehand. And this pride, this lifting up of your heart, is effective just like a fast is. Because through pride, one forgets his wisdom. Anyone who is prideful, his wisdom is taken away from him. So we see that pride removes your wisdom. But Rabbeinu is saying to have this pride to intentionally lift up your heart in order to remove your wisdom so you can get to the next level. You need a very great chokhmah for this. You need to be standing at a high level of wisdom for this. Because pride is certainly a great prohibition. And if a person truly becomes prideful, it's certain that his wisdom will be completely removed from him. You will not get to this sort of perception. He won't attain true perception. You become a literal fool. But a person needs a sort of mastery, an abundant skill, an extra abundant skill. How to engage with this. How to purposefully lift up your heart so that you can forget your Torah. So that you get to a new perception. Um, that a person needs to be a great master and how to engage with this sort of concept so that he should purposefully attain pride in order to forget his wisdom of before. She would say that he needs to forget as we said above in order to ascend up to the next level. And even so, that he should be truly humble. Meaning, it seems paradoxical that a person should attain pride and yet um, this pride should be only in order and to enable this person to attain a higher level to gain an even greater wisdom. Because we say that pride... Uh, makes a person forget his wisdom. So sometimes a tzaddik, if he wants to get up to a new level, and even if a person wants to get up to a new level and to as, as, ascend to a new uh, place in wisdom, he actually purposefully attains pride so that he 
forgets his previous wisdom, and that now his mind is capable of accepting this new Torah, just like we saw with Rabbi Zera. And uh, this is effective just like fasting, just like we saw with Rabbi Zera, that he fasted to forget his Torah. The same is true of pride, that when you attain this pride, you're able to forget your Torah. And uh, the reason for doing this is in order to attain greater wisdom, greater recognition of God, which um, is actually an awesome uh, level of humility. But Rabban was saying that you need to have true, true humility to understand, or you need to be very careful to understand how to do this because pride is obviously a great prohibition. So this pride obviously has to be l'shem shamayim, and uh, it's actually true humility, as we see here. It's not necessarily um, just pride. Torah Resh Mem Zayl. Ita Bazar Kadosh et Bran Zohar, Daraya Mehemna, and Parashat Sav. That when it says in the Gemara, teku, let it stand, basically, which means that it can't resolve um, a question. When the Gemara can't resolve a question, it doesn't have an answer. A final psak, they say teku, which means to let it stand. We'll wait until the Mashiach comes to reveal the answer. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai writes in the Zohar that when it says teku in the Zohar, in the Gemara, that it's actually... Um, lacking tikkun, meaning that this concept of teku is meaning that the thing that they were just talking about is lacking rectification. It's not complete. Meaning what? That the, whenever it says teku, teku, <coughs> Rabban was explaining what it really, what the Zohar is really hinting to. Not that it's lacking rectification, but that what? So Rabban was explaining what the Zohar is telling us that the teku is missing the last letter, which is the nun, which would make the word from teku into tikkun. Um, so we're lacking this nun of tikkun, and this is why it's still left in the form of teku. That this extended nun, this nun sofit, this nun that finishes off any word, um, when it's lacking from the word tikkun, meaning when you take out the word, uh, the letter nun from tikkun, it becomes the word teku, as we saw above. So we see what? That the nun is bent over and it's made low. It's brought to a lower place. Meaning whenever the tikkun gets into the aspect of teku, meaning that there's lacking rectification, and there's no final answer to teku, then take the last nun of the word tikkun, which is what we call a nun sofit, that there's certain letters in the Hebrew alphabet that we finish off a word, um, that the letter changes whenever you finish off the word versus if it's in the middle or at the beginning of a word. And nun is one of them. That nun is long. It's called a nun sofit. Um, and there's six double letters in the, um, in the Hebrew uh, alphabet. And Nun is one of them. So Rabban was telling us that if uh, you take out the Nun from Tikkun and it becomes Teku, then that Nun bends itself. And what did it become? If you add this bent Nun to Teku, it becomes Kinot. Kinot means lamentations, meaning something sad. Which is the same letters as Tikkun. The only difference between the words, the words Kinot and Tikkun, it's the same letters, it's just that the Nun is different. One is the Nun that ends the word, meaning it's Complete rectification, that's tikkun, which literally means rectification. And kinot is bent, meaning it's lacking, it's missing something. Kinot means lamentations. May Hashem redeem us and overturn that word kinot and transform the word kinot into tikkun. 
And now by doing that, you rectify the word teku. Uh, may we rectify all of this because teku is this lacking of tikkun, as we saw, um, which is the same idea as kinot. So that we need to turn that noon, that bent noon, into um, the straight noon, which is represents this inyan of redemption. That the storytelling or the stories of tzadikim, who is very great, that telling stories of tzadikim is very great. Because by telling stories of tzadikim, one, one is able to awaken and to arouse his heart with great awakening to serve Hashem with a very powerful yearning. Because that imprint, the residue that this tzaddik left, the one that the tzaddik we're speaking about, clearly. Meaning, whenever we speak about this tzaddik, that tzaddik that we're speaking about left a residue in the world. He left an imprint in the world. Through the fact that he served God. And that impression that the tzaddik left, the tzaddik that we're speaking about, um, becomes awakened at the time when we're speaking about these stories. And um, this uh, impression awakens a great arousal um, for Hashem. So that it awakens us to, to yearn for God and to attain this desire to, to get close to Hashem. Torah 249. The essence of strength exists in the heart. Because one whose heart is very strong and who doesn't fear from any single person or any single thing, he's able to do awesome acts of strength to conquer wars through his strong and mighty heart. Because his heart doesn't fear anything. And it runs within the, the thick and the strength of battle. It has no fear. And this is what it's brought down in Pirkei Avot, Perek Dalet, chapter 4. Who's a, mighty, who's a mighty man? One who conquers his inclination. And this is the strength of Shimshon that we say about Shimshon. That we say about him in Shoftim, chapter 13. Um, that God's spirit, that, uh, that God's Ruach began to move him. To move him in the camp of Dan, between Tzara and Eshtol, between these two places. Meaning, within, between those two places, between Tzara and Eshtol, the Spirit of God over, uh, came over Shimshon and donned him with strength. Meaning, at, in that place, specifically between those two places, at that moment, um, Shimshon was granted this strong and mighty, um, powerful heart. And through this, he was able to do all these mighty acts and awesome acts of strength. So we see that the essence of strength comes from a person's heart. Um, who's a mighty man? One who conquers his Yetzer. Um, as we see in Pirkei Avot. And this is the final lesson for today, the longest one, um, a very deep lesson. Pay attention very closely because Rabban was giving us awesome advice for how to mitigate suffering. That 
Rabbeinu is telling us that all sorts of pain and anguish, afflictions, only come because we lack that, lack awareness and consciousness. Because one who has this knowledge and this consciousness, meaning he knows that everything is with the divine providence of God, that God is manipulating, doing every single thing. He has no suffering. He actually doesn't feel any pain. Because he knows that God has given and God has taken away as it's brought on Eyov. That this is the mentality a person has to have, that God gives, God takes, but everything is completely divinely ordained. Even though Rabbeinu says there's suffering and there's afflictions, that it's, that it's obligated that we have to feel them. Meaning, there's sufferings that uh, we feel the pain. Specifically the afflictions that come because of the combination of the body and the soul. When the body and the soul combine, it's obvious that we have to engage in this suffering. Just like those afflictions whenever the soul slowly leaves the body. For example, these are the afflictions of a sick person. Why does the sick person feel pain? Why, why does he feel coughing, his chest is weak? Or whatever the example is. is because the only reason why he's sick is because his soul is slowly beginning to separate from the body. And because in nature, Hashem made it that the soul and the body are completely tied together very firmly and attached very firmly and strongly. It's certain that he has to feel some sort of suffering at the time when they try to separate from each other. telling us that even if you feel it, Nonetheless, this suffering is very light and easy to accept, um, specifically at a time when a person knows with clear, clear knowledge that everything is with the divine providence of God. And all the more so, other sorts of afflictions and anguish that one does not feel at all if a person has that. For example, why a person has to go through problems of earning money and whatever it is that a person has to go through. Specifically, that doesn't have to do with pain of the actual physical body. Then, once you attain this dot, it's certain that you don't feel the pain at all because you have that understanding that Hashem gives, Hashem takes, and Hashem is controlling every single thing. So, you're not afraid of what is happening because you know God is doing everything for the good and that everything He does is good. And the essential pain that we receive from afflictions is because. They take away from us our dot, our consciousness, in order that we feel the pain. That's the main test. And this is the essential suffering that the Jewish people go through in exile. The only reason why we're suffering here in exile is because the Jewish people have fallen away from that, have fallen away from this concept of this knowledge that God gives and God takes. And we attribute everything to fortune or mikrim coincidences or to nature God forbid to say that all these things are rid of Hashem and because of this because of the fact that we attribute all these things that happen to us because of nature we fall into this sort of affliction and suffering because we believe they have that it's just the cruel way of the world without understanding that God is actually doing this for good and Rabbanu telling us the reason why we fall into these this lack of understanding and we get to this sort of place where we fall into this suffering because we have no more that, 
is only because we are mixed and we dwell among the other nations, the Gentiles, and we learned their ways. God forbid. Because we see that they have successful times. Amishad is always despised and lowered and um, put into suffering. This is why we learn from the Goyim and we we attribute everything to all these um, to this nature, these coincidences. And because of this in itself, we have the suffering. Because Rabban was telling us that if the Jewish people had the da'at, had the knowledge and the understanding that everything was divinely ordained, then we wouldn't feel any sort of afflictions at all. And the truth is that the Jewish people are above nature. It's just that when we sin, God forbid, we fall under the laws of nature. Just like the Goyim, because they're in the constant, constant aspect of sin, they are under the constellations and the, the nature. They are, they, are, they are ordained by this. They, are, they live by the, the, the mazalot, the constellations, and the way the nature of the world works. And this is why um, we have exile and pain, because we've learned from the Goyim. And Rabban was repeating to us to really knock this concept down, that the essential afflictions and suffering and the galut, the exiles, only because we rely on this nature and we put all our trust in this nature. We, we, we begin to forget and to attribute everything to Hashem, we begin to attribute to nature. And um, Rabenu tells us, yes, um, that even though nature is Hashem, it's a concealment. It's clear that everything in nature is Hashem. And we have to understand that. But the main reason for our suffering is because we tend to forget that the things that happen in nature, like... Just the normal things that we see every single day, why a, a leaf will fall from a tree or something like that. We think that all of that is nature, but it's all Hashem. And we have to get to that dot. And because we don't have that dot, we fall into suffering. So when God wants to have mercy on the Jewish people and to save them from their exiles, and He wants to put an end to the, all the oppression that we receive. So what does God do? He brings down upon us His divine providence. And He subdues and He nullifies the nature and the constellation which obliges the Jewish people to be put under their hand, to be basically oppressed under the, the Gentiles' hands. So Hashem basically draws down Hashkacha and He completely nullifies that constellation which would make us have to go under the suffering of, this, of these goyim. And then he makes guilty and he punishes those who oppress us. The Jewish people are able to ascend above the goy, the goyim, the Gentiles who actually make us suffer just by the fact that God draws down his hashkacha. Because the second we don't have hashkacha, we fall under the aspect of nature. And the aspect of nature would determine that we would have to go into servitude under the Jewish, uh, under these whatever nation God determined, whether it's the Greeks, whether it's the Romans, etc., etc., whoever it is. But Rabbi Nachman is telling you the second you have that dot, and the second God wants to have mercy on the Jewish people, He brings down Hashkacha because Hashkacha is actually the key to alleviate our suffering. Because once you have Hashkacha, you're no longer under the realm of nature anymore, you're under God's divine providence. 
That when God wants to have this mercy and to draw down this divine providence, He draws it down from the end of the world. He brings the divine providence from the end of the world. Because in the future, at the end of times, nature is going to be completely nullified. The only thing that will exist is complete divine providence. It says in Yeshaya chapter 51, For the heaven vanish like smoke, and the earth wears away like a garment, like clothing. Meaning what? That nature is going to be completely worn away and vanish. Just like the heavens and the earth, which represent this concept of nature. Meaning nature is going to be complete, completely nullified because nature is governed by stars and constellations. And this is why it's in the verse. The heavens will vanish like the smoke. To vanish. Meaning what? Meaning all the constellations are going to be jumbled together and confused. Confounded. And now there's going to be no more mazal. Only divine providence and now the Jewish people are going to be above um, and we're going to subdue that oppression and ascend above those who are oppressing us and ascend above nature and therefore now also now when God wants to create an end to any sort of Gentile nation and He wants to put the Jewish people above this nation that's oppressing them. So God draws down this divine providence from the end of the world so that now, sorry, <clears throat> that in that time whenever God wants to draw down this providence, or God wants to create an end to this Gentile nation, there's only going to be Hashkacha. And through that hashkacha, now that God nullifies nature, the Jewish people ascend up, up above. And we end, basically, with all of God's hashkacha, with God's divine providence. God puts an end and finishes off the Gentile nation which, were, which was oppressing us. And this is what is brought down in Yechezkel, the prophet. Ketz, the end, Bahaket, the end is coming. Why does it use the word ketz twice in the verse? End and end. The end, the end is coming. Meaning when God wants to put an end to the Gentile nation, so He draws down the hashkacha, that divine providence, from the final end. Meaning the end of times, which is that providence which will completely nullify nature. Meaning God goes all the way to the end of time, takes the same divine providence that He will use at that time in the future when the Mashiach is going to come, etc. And he brings it to that, the period in which he needs to bring mercy into the Jewish people to help them uh, um, survive and to flourish out of that oppression. For example, during the time of the Greeks, uh, during the time of Hanukkah, whenever the Greeks were oppressing the Jewish people, what Hashem had to do was take this Hashgacha that would exist at the end of times and bring it down to that period and uh, through that hashkacha, which he drew from the end of times, he's able to create an end to the Greeks and bring the Jewish people so that Matiteo and Gadol and all his children should be able to defeat the, the Greek kingship. So this is why I use the word ketz twice. Ketz, the end, meaning to put an end um, to the Gentile nations. Baha ketz, he brings that uh, hashkacha that comes from the final end, meaning the final times. 
Rabbeinu tells us that prayer is this concept of divine providence which is above nature. Because we've seen many times prayer is above nature. We saw many times that nature dictates that it should be like this and like this. But prayer changes nature. And this is a great, awesome aspect. As brought down Dvarim chapter 4. For what nation is so great that they have a God so close to it as Hashem our God is whenever we call upon Him. Meaning, no one can compare to us, the Jewish people, because their gods are nowhere near as close um, to them as Hashem is to us whenever He answers our call. Meaning, there's no true God like um, there is no true God except for Hashem because Hashem is close to us, answering us whenever we call out to Him. Because this is our greatness. That God listens to our prayers and He changes nature, changes nature through His divine providence. And it's brought down in Merachim, Book 2, Chapter 8. Tell me now, please tell me, of the great things in which Elisha did. So what does it have to do with anything? We saw in Lesson 66, the same idea. Page 27. Meaning that which Elisha accomplished, all the miracles Elisha, the student of Eliyahu Navi, accomplished, he accomplished it with prayer. Meaning prayer through prayer he was able to attain all these great things, this concept of greatness, which is tefillah, which is hashkacha, which is above nature. Nimsa, we find that tefillah, we find that prayer, which is the aspect of miracles and divine providence, is the opposite of nature. And this prayer, and miracles, is all the aspect of something gadol, something great. And this is an explanation of what it's brought down in the Gemara Barachot. What um, the, this necromancer told Rav Ketina, this sage, he asked him, My Goha, what is an earthquake? Meaning, what is the aspect of an earthquake? And he explains, At a time when God remembers his children, Whenever God remembers the Jewish people, when they are, um, which are constantly dwelling in pain between the, the Gentiles, he, God basically drops down two tears into the great sea. And God's voice is heard from one end of the world to the other end of the world. So we see this earthquake occurs from these two tears that God drops into the great sea. Meaning what? When God remembers that we are placed and we reside among the Gentile nations in trouble. Meaning, as we see in the in the Gemara, it says Ben specifically between the Gentiles. Meaning what? Because the only reason why we're in pain and affliction is because we dwell among the Gentiles. And because we learn from them. And because we've fallen from our true consciousness and awareness of God, and we depend and we attribute everything to constellations and nature. This is why we are suffering. So what happens when God sees that we're suffering because of the fact that we learn from the Goyim? He, dis- he drops down two tears. He tears up two tears. Meaning, God draws down t- upon us this divine providence, which is the aspect of tears. 
because tears are the aspect of divine providence. The clouds return after the rain. And what does it say over there? In Gemara Shabbat, this is one's vision. Which becomes clouded and diminished after one cries. <clears throat> so we see that this parable of the clouds returning after the rain is the same idea of when one loses his vision after he cries. Nimtza. So we see that what? We see that tears actually take away a person's a portion of a person's vision. As we just saw. That after a person cries, his vision becomes clouded. And Rabbi was telling us that eyesight is drawn into the tears. The re'ut, that, uh, that a person's vision is actually a portion of a, a, a portion of this person's vision gets brought into those tears. We see that these tears are elements of God's divine providence and vision. Because as we explained in lesson 13, that God's divine providence is basically the way God looks down upon us. Meaning divine providence is an aspect of sight. How close God is to seeing us. And the the closer we are to God's vision is the closer is the greater God's hashkacha is. The greater God's divine providence is because we are so close to God's eyesight. As if to say such a thing. So, Rabbeinu telling us that divine providence and Ra'ut are one idea. Vision and divine providence are one. So if one's vision is drawn into the tears that a person cries, then we see that vision being hashkacha, divine providence, is in tears. So tears represent divine providence. Because we saw above, the tears take away a person's vision. And this is what it says, that God drops two tears into the great sea, meaning he's drawing down portions of his divine providence. Into the great sea, which means what? This represents the Gentile nations which rule over the Jewish people. Why do the why do the why do these Gentiles uh, represent this great sea? Because brought down in Yeshaya, chapter fifty-seven, the wicked are like the troubled sea. So we see that what? The wicked represent the sea. And now, when Hashem drops his two tears, which is Hashkacha, down into this world where this where these um, other Gentiles are ruling over the Jewish people, the aspect of greatness is created, which is what we said above, which is the God's divine providence, the prayers that we pray, which is an aspect of greatness, as we saw with regard to Elisha. Tell me, please, of the great things. What are the great things? A reference to the miracles Elisha did through prayer. So we see that greatness is tefillah. Which we said, tefillah is greatness. And this is what it says, that God's voice is heard from one end of the world to the next. Meaning God is drawing down His divine providence, which is that greatness that we talked about. Into the sea, meaning into the world where the, the goyim are ruling over the Jewish people. And what? He draws down the divine providence, misof haoram, from the end of the world, meaning what? Miketaharon, from the final end, meaning at the end of times. Atsofo, all the way until the end. What's To create an end, a sof, to put an end to the rulership that the 
Gentiles have over the Jewish people. Bechinot ket ba'aket we saw in the verse. Can you tell we saw in the verse? Ket the end ba'aket the end is coming. Meaning to put an end um, to the Gentile nations, he draws down the Ashkacha, which is drawn from the ket the end, the end of times. And this is why Rabban was explaining an awesome idea as to why a person tears up when he's in pain, when he's in suffering and anguish. Because when a person is suffering and um, because of the fact he's in a state of suffering and pain, therefore he needs divine providence. Because divine providence is the salvation which brings us out of oppression. This is why we, we, we draw down tears when we're really suffering. In order to draw down through these tears portions of God's divine providence and portions of God's vision over us. Meaning to draw, draw down God's divine providence over the Jewish people. Because providence and God's vision is brought within a person's tears as we see. As we saw above that the tears have present within a person's vision and vision is hashkacha. So within a tear you have the concept of divine providence. So we cry when we need suffering because we need to draw down God's divine providence to attain a true salvation. As we see in the verse that the clouds return after the rain. This is a reference to a person's vision which is diminished after a person cries. Meaning, meaning that these tears um, diminish a person's vision and they take a person's vision. So we see what? So we see that a person's vision is actually implanted within a person's tears. And this is why it's brought down in the verse. King Chizkiyahu Cry at a great cry, a great weeping. As is said, I believe, uh, which is said about the time he got sick. Um, if I'm not mistaken, referring to Chizkiyahu Melech. But uh, nonetheless, the Chizkiyahu made a great cry because <clears throat> he got sick. Meaning what? Chizkiyahu needed Yeshua and he needed to draw down God's divine providence in order to heal him from his sickness. This is why it's in the verse, a great cry. Meaning within, a per- within his crying, within his tears, he drew down into those tears and he planted within those tears and, and he engraved within those tears his own vision and what this con- the concept of vision and the concept of which is the concept of greatness as we saw. Meaning, Bechi Gadol, great cry, meaning that he drew greatness into his cry. That he drew Hashkacha within his tears. That he, that he um, drew down the content of Tfilah, which nullifies nature because he needed salvation. This is what is said about David Amelech at the time when he cried over his anguish. Al David Igdil. It says in Shmuel, um, book 1, chapter 20. Ad David Higdil, until David had wept a great deal. Meaning that what, what is the idea that David cried? Higdil, a great deal, a lot, a big amount. What's Higdil? It comes from the word Gdula, Gadol. Meaning that his cries um, reached the aspect of Hashkacha, 
that he was able to draw down divine providence through his crying, Bikinot Gadol, and divine providence represents the content of Gadol, greatness. Because through divine providence, a person is saved from all sorts of suffering and anguish, as we had mentioned above. May we nullify our suffering through this Hashkacha to truly attain this concept of Tfilah and to truly nullify nature, as we see in this awesome lesson, because it's all a matter of how much that we have. So may we attain this concept of that, truly nullify our suffering and attain this Hashkacha of Hashem.